0: I celebrate myself, and what I assume, you shall assume, for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. I loaf and invite my soul, I lean and loaf at my ease, observing a spear of summer grass. Houses and rooms are full of perfumes, the shelves are crowded with perfumes. I breathe the fragrance myself and know it and like it. The distillation would intoxicate me also, but I shall not let it. The atmosphere is not a perfume. It has no taste of the distillation. It is odorless. It is for my mouth forever. I am in love with it. I will go to the bank by the wood and become undisguised and naked. I am mad for it to be in contact with me. The smoke of my own breath. Echoes, ripples, and buzzed whispers. Love root, silk thread, crotch, and vine. My respiration and inspiration. The beating of my heart. The passing of blood and air through my lungs. The sniff of green leaves and dry leaves. And of the shore and dark-colored sea rocks. And of hay in the barn. The sound of the belched words of my voice. Words loosed to the eddies of the wind. A few light kisses. A few embraces are reaching you.
1: sorry yeah
2: okay let's do the countdown okay
1: one two three that should be good
2: i think we got it
1: i think so too yeah yeah this is uh this is great i'm very excited to to be here i enjoy uh both of what you have to say so
3: yeah um pretty excited uh i follow both of you guys like actively on twitter i feel like you guys are the only people that i Actually, like, I wonder what uh Barrett or Elise have to say about this point or whatever. But yeah, I'm excited yeah, to see what really, we talk about.
2: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm just leaving Twitter for Substack notes because I just get too much. Like, the degree of transphobic abuse that goes on on Twitter is just mm-hmm. has become like beyond unbearable and it just has degraded. Like, the like. The toxicity of the platform has always been like something, you know, that was a given about Twitter, but recently it just like went through the roof, I think.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that as well. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but yeah, no, the toxicity has always been there, but there's something I think, I, I feel like it part of it has to do with like the kind of reactionary impasse that they've sort of lost their grasp and have sort of turned to this pure sort of rhetorical vitriol to basically save the fact that they've advanced nothing but the void and uh, this is sort of i guess my polemic against right-wingers and and many factions of the left as well so i'm too uh leaving twitter
2: (laughs) yeah so so that account like at reality gamer on, on like Twitter had this like uh, because I hung out with them in San Francisco once and they're really great. And they had like this huge thread about like why Twitter was like basically going to shit. And like they located it in like the reactionary logic, which was self-defeating because mm. the like productivity of reactionary culture is that they have to find ways to say slurs without saying slurs. It's like all of their memes, all of their culture, it's them who want to say the N-word, but they have to find a way to not get banned. And like, that's literally all that culture is. And Ellen, and all, all the while they were saying, look, we're getting censored. But the day that Elon Musk took over and said, yeah, you can just say slurs. Like at this point, they just say slurs and there's nothing more to do, you know?
3: Um, I was just going to say, you got to admit, the there is like an insurrectionary component to it. And I say that in quotes, not to like, um, you know, be their white knight or anything. But it's kind of interesting because, I, I, you know, it's like the algorithms, they're all at least before Elon Musk was set up so that it would like search um, and kind of like nuke any account that was being, you know, blatantly problematic. And so they had to come up with these tactics of like you said like going around or like saying slurs without saying slurs essentially so it's pretty interesting how it almost takes away any notion of them even trying at this point to be witty smart or even like or even have like a sense of rhetoric if that makes sense
2: yeah you know people just like comment under my post just like kill yourself training like they don't there's no there's no vision you know there's no there's no creativity anymore to this hatred. It's, right. it's like there's n- n- like absolute. it's like this pure nothing. That,
1: that That's a good articulation of it because to me it's like you see a lot of this kind of like I don't know like DSA type of accounts and they, they've got like this sort of like upright citizens brigade improv theater <laughs> sort of like clout you know what i mean there's like this strange sort of i don't know out of the ashes of i guess like the american left uh media vanguard there's this whole like sort of be normal thing and they always try to impose uh sort of like fight with the reactionaries by basically saying like I'm morally good, you're morally bad. But that cr- criteria has been exploded so long ago. So they don't really have a valid like rebuke of this this kind of behavior. And so it it just it's just this endless sort of game of like these kind of like improv theater, dirtbag comedy people arguing with like people who will just say anything to get a reaction for attention without any sort of, as you were alluding to creativity or maneuverability uh, within the rhetoric that they're sort of espousing. Cause to me, like, I don't, I, I like edgy jokes, why not? Depends on how they're presented, of course, but there's just zero creativity here whatsoever. And it's, it's really, it's bad for, for thought. It's bad for, for everything, so.
2: Yeah. And and like I think we discussed this when we were, uh, like talking about like Parisia and stuff like that. Right. But like the issue with when you have like pure free speech, is like and when there's absolutely no censorship whatsoever on on like what you can say, is that this does not stimulate you to say intelligent stuff, because it it's like it doesn't when when it's it's like the idea of an art without constraints that just that that simply impossible you know you you have to have some constraints in order that like the like human intellect attempts to find its way around them but like if you have no constraints it's just nothing
3: i like that you bring up um parisia because um just but i've my weekend reading was uh, Parmenides and uh, the Gospel of John. And so um, I was looking at a lot of like old um, New Testament stuff. Um, and even like the way that like, for example, like Jesus, like the way that like when he invokes Parisian quotes, um, like, you know, he's obviously like, not I wouldn't say being like counter or like revolutionary or insurrectionary, but he, there's like skin in the game. Um, and I think that's what a lot of like the right. Swayjack or like the Groiper accounts don't get is that, I mean unless unless you don't have like skin in the game what you say doesn't really matter it it becomes um i think barrett you mentioned this or no i think it was you uh elisa which is it it becomes kind of like a competition of who can say like the most like stupid in the truest sense of the war word um and it's just it just becomes like a what's it called a a piss piss measuring contest
1: (laughs) yeah I, the one thing I, I think about in terms of Parisia, though, uh, you know, is that who decides, given our sort of current political or, or power structure, th- because you could almost say that the current state of the United States, of the West, of, of any sort of nation state, basically has their own version of Parisia so what would be the common good well it's the only speech that's permitted is it acts on the common good of the abstract notion of statehood and so this is kind of why i still i support freedom of speech in in one sense it's like obviously i support parisia above that you know which is to speak freely for a sort of common good entailing a risk But the limits of Parisia, I feel like they can be invoked by the state itself. And that, to me, is like
4: Hmm.
1: kind of, I guess, something I've been thinking about uh, lately is just how to sort of manage that uh, situation.
2: Yeah. Foucault has some writings about that where he's uh... (laughs) a... because you, you know the seventh letter by plato you know plato he does he does a the, he does the thing you know he's in front of like the tyrant and the tyrant says like contradicts himself like he lies basically in front of plato and he has soldiers around him and, and plato tells the tyrant you know you're a lie, and and like the tyrant actually in real like like it doesn't end well for plato But like, and and Foucault reads this and says like, this is the model of truth. This is like a model of philosophical truth, which is much like, which is infinitely superior to like any other model of truth. Like let's say as um, like the, I don't know how to say it in English, like the identity between statement and an object or something like that. The model of like this truth is merely that you can speak it when you have no interest in doing so and that it's your if it's to your detriment to say something this is like a self-verification of what you're saying an ethical
1: oh, yes verification. yeah I that's hundred percent right. agree with that yeah yeah no just
3: picking back off of that that yeah i think that's why it's like parisia has to be or is rooted as like a like an ethical like an ethical stance or like a, it it invokes ethics, um, primarily because, um, you know, it's almost like in the lineage of like, um, like prophetic speech, not so much as in like, it's trying to, you know, create a prophecy for some event that's to come in the future. It's because it, it's, it's like critique, but not like in the autistic, like Kantian register. (laughs) Um, it's critique in the sense that it's, um, it's that very mechanism that it's almost, it bypasses that mechanism in like a quote unquote positive feedback state where like the state allows free speech to the degree that it's so people don't, people don't actually have a vehicle for a revolution or insurrection or actual measures by which to counter the state. Um, that's like the free speech that's like allowed by the state, so to speak. It's like the heresy that if we're talking about like theological um, constraints it's the heresy that's allowed it's the permissible heresy um, but then there's like truly heretical speech which is like a parisiastic stance that yeah. is that is beyond the state that is where the state no longer has what it, you know what Agamben or even Schmidt would call the state of exception it's beyond the state of exception
2: yeah you can see that clearly if you read like the very short text what is enlightenment by Kant and right. in it. He says like you know in a pre-enlightenment society what is the statement of power with regards to like argumentation in discourse in those societies he says it's do not argue obey and then he says but what's the state like he says what is the statement of the stringest of rulers within like enlightenment it is argue as much as you want but obey and like that is the the statement of like higher stage liberalism it's really like you are free to argue absolutely as you want as long as you obey and when you see like the seventh letter of plato how plato thinks parisia it is the fact that it's argumentation and disobedience at the same moment
3: i forget what it's called in um like philosophy of language but it's like the it's like austin's theory i think it's austin austin's theory of language where it's like a, a speech act mm-hmm. um and it's like yeah i mean like parisian in a way is and i'm using the the term kind of loosely here um a speech act in the terms in terms of parisia it has to not like you said it's not just saying something for the sake of saying something or within the confines of um rhetoric conversation or uh dialogue, it's, it's, it's invoking an actual um, move or call to, to act. So it's like, you know, that's why like Diogenes in a way is a a Parisiast. So he, you know, he obviously like, you know, was like a a pretty edge edgy guy, Um, (laughs) but obviously as a way to like critique or uh, deface the currency, which was like the, the bourgeois ethical, um rhetoric of his time period
2: but you see wokeness is like that if you think about it if you really think about like how wokeness operates in like in like intersocial relations like the f- wokeness takes critique at the moment of the relation of power with regards to language which is to say like when you, when you are woke and someone says some insensitive shit you don't like take to twitter or like write a book about how what like their idea is stupid. You say shut the fuck up, and that you know it's like the critique happens at the moment, and that is what is dangerous about like this this real type of speech. It's that it like takes disobedience and like critique as a single moment.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I I, I think about that quite a bit. It, to me, it's you know there's a lot of sort of, I guess you could say, uh, suturing of this notion of like, you could say woke capital or whatever, you know? And that there's uh, a kind of like epistemic crisis of wokeness and capital, but then it would have to entail that capital is an inherently bad, negative thing. Uh, Capital isn't, it's just who gets to enjoy it. I I think some of like what people say woke capital what they what they're really trying to articulate behind anger and vitriol is this notion that like who it serves who it benefits it doesn't really benefit them but does it even benefit the woke people no it doesn't it's it's just kind of like this idea that capital can only be enjoyed it's not capital you know i i actually think capital should i like it i think it should be enjoyed by more people it's just who you know and what purpose does it serve and it's it's a sort of strange thing i i'm not really articulating it very well but no i I hear what you're saying it's just yeah
3: um i like this idea of like who gets to enjoy it because um you know it's like the audience like who who its designated audience uh might be and it's like who who gets to enjoy uh the, I guess, like the cultural aspect of capital, which, um, you know, a lot of people are like capital, you know, at least on the left, it's like capitalism is evil, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You know, it's just, it's this, it's this necronomic uh, entanglement that, you know, invades everything and destroys tradition. And then you get into like the trad stuff where it's like, oh, we need to return, Uh, you know, wokeism is destroying everything. And that's where you get like the reactionaries. But you know, like it, that's brought up, that's brought upon by the the very material conditions, which obviously, like in our time period, it's capitalism. So the fact that they even get to retro, retroactively, like enjoy these quote unquote categories, like the trad cat, like trad cath or uh, the woke liberal, they can only have that worldview or perspective because of the material condition.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah so trad are unthinkable without like. JPEGs of you know and
1: veneration.
2: Yeah, but you cannot imagine a thread gap without, like, as you said, the material condition of the internet and posting images of saints and churches, like, which is like a form of like control gooning to this. They're, they're like, no, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like it is, this yeah. flow of images. Yeah, like some of them, like, if you look at the Twitter feeds of of some thread it's just like this. Low of like like it's it's like i would this swarmery of image is like literally pornographic no matter like the actual content of the image
1: yeah no i agree it's it's really sort of funny because like like the whole notion of returning to a culture like cultures of the past before these kind of replicated images or jpegs actually had no sort of concept like, they had no concept of culture as anything but as it existed within their peripheral social environment. So that material condition that makes you aware of having to return to something could only be brought about by the conditions that we currently inhabit. Which is, I think, another interesting thing. I know Ulysses is working on uh, woke brutalism, which I find very interesting. I'm working on cartoon formalism. Uh, absolute objectivity within aesthetic domain. Uh, I think representation, as you said, with, within uh, tradcasts, this this kind of like endless gooning replication, like pornographic of identities, of faces, of... of kind of ways there is a kind of like positive topological violence to all of it and absolute objecthood when Kojev wrote about his uncle Vasily Kandinsky there was a fourth category of art emerging which is that of the tableau that is totally non-representational objective completely as it is and I would like to see more of that I would like to see more it's part of Avatar 2's woke brutalist appeal to Ulysses actually sort of fits in with, I guess, some of my ideas about the uh, the dynamics at play with uh, trans-historical or post-historical subjects. Like the, uh, part of what is so interesting about the Na'vi is that they don't take from any sort of historical race in a kind of liberal sense. I think when liberals kind of invoke the Holocaust or like Uh, slavery they do so in this very sort of cheap exploitative way Um, I would like to see something beyond all of that to illustrate uh, a formal non-identity representational relationship like to me that's what's interesting that's kind of like the path forward you know it's it's not you can't lament the destruction of the binaries between man and woman political and economy all of these things like that's just cope you have to find oppositions within in other ways in in ways when you go over to the side of the object rather than the subject
3: i was just going to mention just a real quick side comment i like that you mentioned that it's like uh, this like tabula rasa like liberal smugness which is essentially just ideological like internal like psychologistic colonialism um but yeah, I, I 100% agree with your statement there.
2: Yeah, but liberal smugness, it's like unless the reactionary wants to adopt an actually like religious stance, liberal smugness is literally like aristocratic tolerance a la Nietzsche. It's like its it would be the stance of the overman, literally. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the irony of it is that they are the overman.
2: Yeah, I think some, some like some were like constantly making that point for a while on Twitter. Um, but like it has some truth to it. You know, it, no matter how like this point has been repeated by the worst people, it there's there's a real substance to it.
1: I, I think that they're doing so in pursuit of trying to engage in a non- purely reactive past tense practice. Like, I feel like when you look at, you you can tell like a lot of this memetic sort of stuff, it's only to get them to actually cross the Rubicon, but they'll never do it. You know, like the the whole issue with the right is not, like leftists hate the right because of some sort of like moral impasse or ethical impasse that I feel like is... um, of a, of a history that no longer serves us at the present moment, which is why they sort of just appear like these, you know, goody two-shoes, normative, uh, smug, upright citizens brigade, comedian types, you know, very sort of want to impress people online, want to get huge, fo- it's just all this other stuff. But I do think that there's a kind of interesting, like, There is something interesting to me about just how ineffectual they are. Like, the fear can easily be solved, in my opinion, through, as with Parisia, this is why I feel like guns are so important. Your speech shouldn't, like, we should bring back the Wild West. Like, if we were to bring anything back, like, America should embrace its, you know, absolutely deconstructed, I feel like destiny fold like America has that within it. I feel like that's why, you know, so many of the, the 20th century, you know, French thinkers were so fascinated by it because it's a place of just extremes, of extreme boredom, of extreme excitement. Uh, you know, America is not no longer, it's just, it doesn't feel like that anymore. And it's to me, I think that's quite sad. It would be more interesting if it were more open-ended. Deleuze, he talks about this in the fold, not in terms of America, but just the idea of America being this uh, non-royalist new frontier uh, as a concept, a new concept of statehood. Uh, you know, which he sort of articulates in the fold as you know being like open-ended and inexhaustive, always having the potential to differ and grow. Yeah, uh, despite uh a consistency of operation and i feel like the consistency of operation doesn't come in this sort of naivety of of nationalism but it comes in the form of like americana as an aesthetic rather than this uh concept of the nation state which i think is actually very antiquated and uh outdated
2: yeah i agree with you like on a lot of points here because you think about like for example to me i i would identify like two moments that like to me like announced something quite dire about america which is like the fact that people are trying to define what america is well this is like inherently problematic with regards to like how america has always worked right and the second is is like pessimism at like the upper level of political discourse and like actual policy, which is just if you actually think about it, the statement make America great again is like very un-American, not because it's reactionary or because like it's it's racist or anything like that, but because it's just not, it's it's just in a logic of the fall. You no, know? it's right. it's not in the logic of like American optimism. And Biden, when he tried to say the opposite of like make America great again, he basically had this point in 2020, like uh, in one of the debates. And he said, if I'm elected, nothing is going to change. And like, that's uh, like, think about like how America thinks itself through time. That's not something that that should strike you as normal as a normal thing to say in american politics like nothing's gonna happen if i'm elected.
1: right I, and to me that's sort of like the fundamental problem with like the eurocentric reactionary movements in the united states and also the progressive liberal movements is like they're they they're denying the reality of its open-endedness which is that america is is interesting because it's a place of becoming so to say that you want it to stay the same you're sort of you're denying that sort of objective uh that sort of objective system uh and you're you're i don't know it's 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 really sort of strange you know because it is non-exclusive and unlimited and i feel like that's yeah. if there is if there is going to be a like The problem with Europe is it is still tethered to these, and you know, Kojev, he tried to manage this through the creation of the European Union. You know, he basically, it it turned out completely opposite of what he intended to, but he did actually want to create a sort of empire based on, uh, it's like the way multipolarity has gone, from the sort of Kojevian conception of it when he was a statesman to now you're starting to see like oh wow this like didn't really work out as intended you know with the stuff with like russia and yeah. uh you know but trying to heal you know he wanted a latino empire so sort of a reconciliation between the orthodox church and the catholic church uh, because he claimed that they were leisurely countries, I feel like this goes back to sort of Marx in Capital Four uh, and Three, in which he really stresses the grundrus, especially the the nece- the necessity of free time. Socialism being not being like absolutely worthless without uh, sort of ownership or a relationship to temporality and time that you can sort of claim for yourself I this is kind of where you get the jehu uh stuff communism is free time and nothing else I agree with that I I love free time uh I think free time is incredible I it think
2: time it should just be time
1: yeah it should just be time right it's but free time sounds it I guess more time be
2: from working which supposes that you still have labor. Right. Well, you still have alienated labor if, if, if your time is free, like, in relation to it. But I want to say something about something you said about America, which, like, is very interesting to me as, like, a huge fan of, like, Walt Whitman. And, you know, he has that incredible fucking appeal at, like, the beginning. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's in the preface to the 1855 edition of leaves of grass and he says this is an appeal to Americans of all eras and all nations throughout history and basically and then he says America is like the non-country and like that mm-hmm. contains every country and was always contained in every country and he's, but he really says like Americans of all times in nations and and like and basically he means that like america is like this potentiality that is contained like on the earth at any moment and that's like the united states of america is the place where it's realized but you can make it anywhere
3: america is a body without organs confirmed
1: yeah <laughs> oh no it really is and i hate that people are trying to take that away from it
3: <laughs> well it, it, okay so just going back to a really quick comment because I do want to touch on a couple points that you made uh barrett which is um you know it's like this this like wild west notion of uh America which is you know it, like it almost like ontologizes itself in americana I I love that statement because I think you can see it you can see it play out so perfectly in in terms of like the uh, the maga reactionaries um like infatuation with uh, a simulacrum in how baudrillard uses it as opposed to how uh de uses it for example uh it's a simulacrum for this time that's passed so it's this kind of like um weird hauntological uh pastiche like um Uh, remembrance of this America, this essential America that doesn't exist. So it's like a copy of America in hindsight. But when in reality, it should be a a simulacrum of like, America is always differentiating itself from, um, I I wouldn't even want to say like an idea, but it's always like differentiating itself. And that's how that's through a process of becoming. So it's, it's, it's that um, even the identity of uh, what it what is American or what is Americana, like that even in itself is unstable and, um, it's like, it's non-dialectic.
1: Um, it's, uh, it's what post-dialectic. Is
3: they... Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, Deleuze and Guattari use a, I forgot what it's, it's that, uh, double articulation, um, that they talk about in a thousand plateaus, I think like, that's a, like the per, like, you know, God is a lobster, you know, <laughs> You
2: yeah, know, it's clear that like, w- w- when you have like the logic, the real fully in, in when I see the liberalism, sometimes I mean it as like a very pejorative thing the the way, for example, Mao Zedong uses it. But then there's like this other type of liberalism, which you have like, which is like the kind of militant and kind of reckless liberalism, which is at the core of like the American project, basically, which is like in in that type of liberalism, you cannot help but be fascinated by it. And, And you see it sometimes come back, like, for example, think about like, the civil war in America like the liberals were fucking insane during like no but they literally went insane and they had like all of those like fanatical religious like songs that they were singing while marching into battle think if like liberals were like that today (sighs) you know what I mean it's like liberalism has this core to it of like very of root power within it and like when it's it's, it's expressed at like the way liberalism should be it's it's like it's fascinating the way it like liquidates all other political positions There's like no it's the only possible outside there's no outside to that position the only possible thing you can do is like the imminent critique like the internal critique of that which is basically marxism but like liberalism at its peak must be admired it is like <laughs> no but it is like think about the fact that li- like a state is so powerful that it can tolerate people within that state being literal nazis like in in europe the, a destination state does not have the ability of having nazis like you know it what i i'm saying may sound completely like insane and stupid but what i mean is that it testifies to, like the sheer power of the american state that it can have those people like larping on its territory like without them taking over it as for right. example happened in europe
3: i think yeah no i i 100 agree and i think just to, just a quick point which is this shouldn't be confused with like libertarianism and i think that this is what pisses me off about this particular uh, how this can like be encoded, which is, it's not to say that the state is, or, or the, the minarchist state of of the United States is robust in the sense that it, it, you know, it has these like, uh, release valves that it can tolerate Nazis in the state. No, it's the fact that a fucking Nazi state in in the truest sense can exist within the United States and it doesn't overload the system.
2: Yeah, this is, but like you, like you have to, like, give it to them. I mean, like, it's genuinely impressive because no other country on earth can do that, you know?
1: Right. Well, I feel like this is why Peter Thiel has backed away from the right. Have you, have you seen some of his, like, recent statements? No, I haven't. He refuses to support right-wing candidates from now on because he says that they're completely consumed by hot, button uh cultural issues yeah and not things such as bricks de-dollarization it's part of his creation you know i feel like one of the things with the whole teal bucks rumor that was going around was that he was paying off people and reactionaries but really what he was doing if you follow the traces of money of teal he was funding mimetic research and the neuroscientists Uh, So he would have agents infiltrate these group chats. It's like, come on, like, why would a billionaire go spend money? Because everybody knows that you could could give somebody money and they could double back on the money. This is what Lula did in Brazil, right? We sort of got him elected. Uh, He was backed by our uh, national security state. And he just gets in there and he goes, well, fuck you, I'm going with bricks." Like, I'm not supporting Ukraine, even though he was supposedly this liberal left-wing candidate. He was not Bolsonaro. You know, money is so transitory. It psyops because physical wounds heal. And you saw that that psyop division patch with the bullet going through the skull. Uh, (laughs) Psychological operations is something that can be... uh, It can't just... You can't say fuck you when you're in that condition. You know, Timothy McVeigh had been to uh in a cohort military experimental military uh platoon he was sent to these experimental doctors in fort bragg given these uh injections that made him lose his teeth like these, what these the fuck? no no seriously <laughs> like these processes are so incredibly elaborate so and, yeah and,
2: you know how, like getzinski he was like they would lock him in a room and give him like twenty tabs of acid. Like oh people, yeah, people and and like blast fucking sounds and spray him with cold water.
1: <laughs> but to think that you know that there's any sort of agency outside of these you know deterministic systems that exist to basically buttress various people, you know as basically just kind of like mascots as these kind of like symbol it's just it's impossible to even refute that it's impossible to fight against that so there has to be this is why i feel like ad busters was interesting in tactical media that's the that's the sort of playing field that the state operates on is like make you lose your teeth send you out in these experimental bradley vehicles in the gulf war this is what they told timothy mcveigh they're like you're an admiral now. We're, uh, <laughs> it's so fucked up. Sorry to go on a rant, but like, you are <laughs> the leader of this platoon. We're gonna give you like this, but really they put him in an experimental tank destroyer that didn't work as a human shield for everybody in the background and told him you have a 10% chance of surviving. Uh, how can you even make any sort of claim of, of it, of its efficacy, not existing when they have the capacity to do this. You know, like there's no way. Like, come on. <laughs> Sorry, that was a crazy rant, but
3: no, that's what we live for.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you make me no. no, because I'm looking at it like his military career. Yeah, he said like he decapitated, like iraqi soldiers yeah those those, like the um like psyop divisions what's one of the things that's so crazy to me you know like the psyop girl. she follows me on instagram and she's like you know the you know which one like the one who's like and like she works for the like psyop divisions of the american military and her brand is that she's a psyop
1: It's propaganda that you can easily disseminate, where they're sort of not there. There's no denial of it. It's it's kind of similar with the Iran Contra affair or something like that. It's like yeah, yeah, you know, we're gonna do this fucking crazy shit and just tell everyone about it. It's no (laughs) big deal, you know.
3: Like the CIA, supposed like is gonna be like at South by Southwest or some
1: shit. Like they were at South by Southwest. I actually one year. Uh, last year, I went to the World Economic Forum at South by Southwest, and I ate maggot tacos.
3: Oh um, shit! I remember. <laughs> I remember you released the whole whole episode on this shit.
1: In a byung Chul Han, he talks about this a lot. In a sort of like, in an informatic society, the need to profane the profanation of of data and information, and this is his critique of Agamben is that it, data and information cannot be accelerated because it gets lost in profanation itself. You know, like when all information is extant, you can lose information in the sheer volume of info, in, in, informatics that exists in the world. And I think this is kind of why it's so easy to sort of do things like social conditioning uh, in terms of uh, how we, become agents for various ideological aims of the state and this to me is i feel like what is interesting about parapolitics you know this is what is interesting about all of this stuff and i feel like parapolitics is is a process of discovery that is kind of very american now a lot of these people have have, you know marxist inclinations but that's like a marxist americana that I, i really i jive with it you know just as a as an aesthetic sensibility there's something i really like about that i don't know
3: <laughs> it's very wholesome i have a question for both of you guys do you guys think like q anon is kind of uh like kind of like a, a psyop that kind of escaped its own um so, like it, it couldn't even like it couldn't even internalize like its contradictions. so like it it's it went farther than the psyop could
2: yeah i yeah. think it wasn't it was like a guy who was just trying to drive traffic to his website and it just, just got out of hand because like he was he it was hn HM, right he, he was posting with a trip and then he lost the trip like he lost the trip code so like a bunch of people started posting with different they, they started making Q drops with like all those different trip codes and like basically you had like this like you had created this like Mode of discourse where anyone could become Q and make some prophecies, which is like this comical inversion of the Holy Spirit. Literally, like <laughs> they have the gifts of the Spirit, but it's just you tweeting about like fucking like lizard people <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 five G <5G> towers. <laughs> but like,
3: but like, that's a that's a that's a component that's like interesting, right? Because it's like they're letting like the the holy ghost of QAnon speak through them. And in a way, it does create like a coherent canon.
2: Yeah, and it's it's like speaking in tongues because it's literally just saying the most random shit. It's like on September 20, like, look out towards (laughs) and (laughs) And like, they're all scrolling the news. And of course, they're going to find something.
1: Have either of you ever been to a QAnon rally? No i've been to many oh yeah and the speaking in tongues is is very sort of real one of my observations about QAnon is it is the most racially diverse gathering and i've been to every floyd protest in los angeles i went to the one at uh fairfax where the cops were lighting their own cars on fire and i got tear gassed during that period there, there was a sort of there was all of this opposition and conflict but when i go to like a QAnon rally you have like a backpack rapper with a haitian woman speaking in tongues you know praising q crying on the street holding an <laughs> adrenochrome uh, flyer you have people like playing hacky sack it was it fulfilled a kind of early american utopia like something like the ebenezer group or I wouldn't say the Owenites because they were strictly secular, but it, it, but it did have this kind of fervor of like, of like the Quakers or like Mormonism. You know what I mean? Like it was. Oh, uh, just a quick uh, comment. Um, it's, it's like the distinction between
3: like, uh, like the emphasis on Floyd. It's like this like martyrdom, which is like, in a way, it's like weirdly like para Catholic, and then it's like QAnon, which is like deeply protestant deeply evangelical um and in in a way it's like it's not so much about like martyrdom as much as it is about like eschatology like they have a deep sense of eschatology
2: yeah but their issue is like the issue of like what i would call finite eschatological movements is that they cannot help but locate the eschatology within time like and that is like what you don't want to do, you know, to say it's going to happen like on that date, like because it's not like,
3: yeah, that's like a deeply like, and this goes into like the history of like Protestantism in like America, which is like it's a deeply like sectarian, uh, like millen- millenarian, um, millenarian, um, position, which is just like, you know, uh, the whole idea of like the 1000 year, um, time period before the rapture um which is just like I mean it's deeply American if you look at Mormonism for example which is literally the most American made up religion um yeah the way that it the way that it's set up it's eschatology it's 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 deeply influenced in numerology and um
1: you know other occult magic like America as an expanse as a plot of land was literally their utopia <laughs> you know so they've located that eschatology to a very sort of like imminent geological geographical domain and and to me i feel like that's something that's very sort of interesting about it there's a really good book by jl barry called america's utopian experiments you know boris groys have you either of you read any of of groys's stuff uh he you know, when change sort of becomes the de facto state of things, then escaping or exiting the change becomes that's like the only ever utopia that exists in a, in a post historical world. This is like, uh, you know, Kojev's notion of Japanization, for example. And I, I feel like there is something about America, like the things that I feel like the things that gr- that need to ground a utopia no longer like they they're there but people are looking in like the wrong places if that makes any sense but they're not being located
2: i think that's what i wanted to do with like my work on woke brutalism which is like i feel the reason one of the like and and this is not a novel thought at all like the idea that basically the main i would say the main obstacle to any kind of like But like, literally revolutionary potential is effectively, it's subjectivity. There there is like no revolutionary potential in like any kind of politics that's rooted in subjectivity because like the subject itself as a structure is like literally identical to the state. Right. Yeah, we talked about that like a year ago, didn't we? But like, Mm. but but but, yeah, but uh, I think one of our like one of the most important things you can do right now is think new forms of sensibility. It which means like to displace because I was interested, Barrett, in what you were saying when you were saying like displaced from the subject to the object. But I would say uh, perhaps to literally displace, like, the our thought away from both subject and object and, and just to, like, the spot in between them.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, Inner subjectivity.
2: Yeah, but, yeah, like the, I like to call it, like, Deleuze calls that, well, he, that's not exactly what he means, but he calls that the transcendental field, you know, because mm-hmm. he says, like, it's just like this power which produces like at one end the object and at one end the subject. And like he like he's very interested in do that thing. And I am, also am, and it's part of why I went back to Kant recently, because there's that in Kant. It's like part of the Kantian project is thinking that thing, which is like between the subject and the object, and which is like neither of them. And I think that if you grasp that and start thinking the lot rather than the logic of experience because experience goes goes with the subject and with subjectivity but if instead of doing that if you think the logic of sensation and the transcendental field i think that's like the most like the thing that has the most like one of the things that have the most potential right now because it means you can basically create new sensibilities.
1: I like that a lot. And this is actually Kant makes some there's some parallels between that and Kant's concept of ether in like the power of judgment. Uh when how we create new sensibilities is through a combined subjective capacity to judge. I feel like part of the issue with the west is, is this notion that collectives cannot be creative only individuals can be creative now we all know that's bullshit that's not true but but collectives also they also you know as kant says he says taste is a subjective power of judgment that's sort of the new sensibility and this is why i feel like fashion is so interesting and and people like uh, Walter Van Borink or like Demna from Balenciaga is like there there is a trend and you know there's a cheapness to a trend and there's there's obviously a, a, a commodity form to shortwave trend cycles but then there is something that goes beyond it when you look at like the true visionaries in fashion how they're able to do something new even in spite of that they're ahead they're already ahead you have to be already ahead. like, yeah. And part of that, even Kant says he's like, subjective power be as taste, is. it's a principle of subsumption, not of intuitions under concepts, but the faculty of intuitions and representation under the faculty of concepts. And as Deleuze alludes to, uh, the regulator of all concepts is taste, which I think he draws a lot from Kant. I like that a lot to be like, how can you just be a instead of reacting being reactionary or uh embracing no change how do you just be ahead and how do you create a sort of pattern where people can just be ahead you know what i mean does that make any sense
2: yeah Yeah, it does
3: yeah it's like um what's it called like uh the whole notion of taste you know it's like the taste differentiates between and uh like intensity it's not like a uh quantitative faculty um and so i mean like i really like this because it ties into some of the stuff that i've been reading with uh like leotard which is um the the mobius strip which is like on one side you could you, you can have this like immaculate like system for example um this whole edifice or structure but then on the other side you have the uh the intensities of uh we can call them like the, the libidinal structures or uh, the libidinal intensities um in that at that uh what is it called at that uh vertice here at that point of where the the mobius strip kind of like inverts in, on itself because it's only a one-sided um um structure um that's where we want to like focus subjectivity and i think just to kind of uh, allude to something that that's why i'm kind of like interested i mean i think like TikTok, for example, like, I think it's like deeply satanic, <laughs> um, but I think it's still really interesting because it's, um, it's this algorithmic system, but then it's like, it it doesn't overcode in, in as far as it, like, it doesn't erode the uh, libidinal, like, potential. Like, uh, the fact that the algorithm maximizes, uh, or the way that they were able to quantify an algorithm which maximizes, like, libidinal um, like intensity or like mimetic potential. I think that's what's interesting about TikTok. And if we can, I mean, if you can externalize that into an object, for example, like an algorithm, like a like a piece of software, how can you do the same thing with, quote unquote, like a subject? So how, how do
1: you externalize that
3: in, at a intrapersonal level?
1: It's the in-between that Kant locates in the concept of ether. Like I love ether maxing. I'm really into that. You know, it's basically the conceptual placeholder that conjoins physics and metaphysics into exactly a, a kind That's of systemized is. continuous space. And it, also, it's right.
2: Yeah, you're right because it's it's like when you grasp how Kant thinks that ether, he really says like he actually says, well, you know. The it's it's when he he says the ether is what i deduce during the transition from metaphysics to physics and like it it turns out that like the ether is the transition from metaphysics to physics and there's like this incredible thing there's like this incredible thing that happens which is like that he has count. he says there's a gap in a critical project and he has to leave the critical project in order, like, he has to transition outside of the critical project in order to preserve the critical project, which is like so much more intellectually honest than like any philosopher that claims to have like a full system. Like, Kant basically gets the critical project, says there's a gap in it, and then he doesn't fill the gap, he opens the critical project onto like a natural philosophy like a philosophy of nature and like the opening is ether
1: uh well that's sort of similar to like leibniz's monadology and people say well this like leibniz's monad system is like a bunch of nonsense it's like no 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 as we've proven with you know newtonian physics being you know quasi debunked and quantum mechanics is like what he's describing with monads when you talk about an atom he perfectly described you know the that open space that cannot you know it's an atom is basically a name and an inscription of energy which he had already located in his monadology system you know so what he's basically talking about is that conceptual transitory place between uh metaphysics and physics and you know for kant it was ether but i feel like that space is something incredibly important to open up and to investigate and you look at even the ways like the social formations work i feel like the bojorer talked about this in his criticisms of leftism and socialism is like if you seek to like destroy that open-endedness that creates the kind of binary contradictions of a thought or a concept then that concept can actually no longer function in the same way we can no longer have a society if there are no sort of contradictions or oppositions. You know, he calls this radical alterity, you know, in his love of fashion. It is that thing that's sort of riding ahead of everything else. And I do feel like that there is a form of that taps into that, you know, as he calls it sort of like magical, you know, it's an aesthetic and and something that, is easily quantifiable in its relationship to a short wave but it's also you know it's completely escapable in certain capacities to ride a rise above whatever those things are
2: no i understand yeah i i think what what the way i would grasp that is like there is this opening which is proper to capitalism in in which makes it really, really distinct from like any society before capitalism. It's the fact that like, like, as daughters would say, like capital is able to decode anything into capital. Whereas like in like any society before capitalism, you like each society like faces the other under a logic of like alterity where like the meeting has no common ground. Well, the common ground of that meeting turns out to be capital. You know what I mean? And like capital is just like the common ground that sustains like any society where you have exchange. Marx actually says that. He says like any society that has money has formal capital. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is when when you are in capitalism, it's like the ground of society has been ungrounded and made explicit But this also means that, like, suddenly the human thing is just like completely blown open rather than being closed onto itself. And, like, what moves beyond capitalism cannot be a closure. You know, it cannot be a closure of the human onto itself or a closure of the human onto its productivity. It must, like, take further the opening that is proper to capital.
1: I love that. Uh, And this is to me, and I, I know Ulysses has has gestured. This is why anti-capitalism is a hundred percent reactionary, yeah. and and I this is why I have so many contentions with leftism. Is it's trying to gatekeep progressive flows that already exist within that common that commonality, that common system of exchange that unites everything. Uh, you, you know, so it's it's basically like what you're saying is we want we want to serve you a kind of like ideological metaphysics of leftism or socialism to keep you from being able to understand or identify and i know ulysses has has uh has alluded to this is that capital is sort of a process of identification and if you're not given those tools to identify what those are then essentially what you're saying is we want you to to you know be left astray you don't get any of this this isn't for you um which i feel like is incredibly problematic
2: yeah because if you think capital as like
1: really if you like
2: like me think capital as little material enlightenment like the it's like little literally the material form of critique and if you think about capital like that when you see that like if you if you if because that's where you would get like the lasallian error of like fat socks and like all of those reactionaries and but also of like all of those leftist movements and sometimes not even leftist but like like ultra left and like communist like you know left comes etc who basically say wait like the opening of capital like the uprooting of capital goes too far we need to like do a contrary movement which is like this a movement of reversion away from capital and the issue with that it is that it is a closure away from the opening that capital has has allowed without preserving like what is truly emancipatory about the opening proper to capital
3: yeah this is what like the um like the amy teresa <laughs> teresa's of the world don't understand um which is like when when they're being like conservative in the sense of like like you guys mentioned like this like radical like marxist quote-unquote radical marxist which is not even it's not even like a, a leftist position that they really have, um, but what they advocate is like the like a like a decelerationist uh, propaganda, and that's not to like bootstrap or like uphold the the you know the accelerationist position. But I think it's like both of those are actually super reactionary and conservative in nature um, because they don't actually try to let capitalism like. Overcode onto itself they're like you guys mentioned it's just trying to limit what capitalism itself can um uh overcode or like uh, deterritorialize and then because they're not letting capitalism do its true function then we have like this um castrated form of capitalism at yeah. least at least in the West
2: it needs to go further and, and that means that Russia needs to be dismantled and China needs to transition to liberalism like because right now there is this closure and, and like neither of those countries have have any like revolution, like they're not there's nothing revolutionary about like China about multipolarity that that's that's a pipe dream there's nothing good about multipolarity because. Like in the end, what prevails? It's not about, even about the American dollar. What matters is that the identity of capital, like, must prevail as an opening. You you cannot have like a place that is not within like within the logic of liberalism, because that is an outside to capital. That capital has an interest in colonizing. Like, is that's that's why like China Mao wanted it to be like. To become open at some point, because if you remain in like a posture of pure closure onto, onto yourself, like you are literally the limit of capital, and capital only works by finding that limit and colonizing it
3: I think that's a that's uh that's a problem with like um what is it called um
1: yeah, I forgot <laughs> I do think that's interesting. I think it's interesting to think about that. I don't think Russia will ever be dismantled because I do think that the issue with multipolarity is like one of the, I guess you could say, critical thinkers of multipolarity that the Pat Sox embrace is Kojev. And there are some very, I would say, within that group of people, there are some who are more open ended And and I guess less reactionary in that sense. Um, So there is a sort of schism there. But one thing I think a lot about is this notion of like how multipolarity could have potentially functioned, you know. And part of that would be, I think, you know, the biggest. Well, you're all you're almost seeing this play out right now when you have Macron visiting with China. You know, the geopolitical implications of Macron going over to China, who, you know, France is a historically Catholic, leisurely country, uh, there is a sort of divide, I feel like, between, you know, Kojev, this is why he hates Protestantism, is because, it's, because it is sort of stultifying in that it only views capital as, as a process that is imbued by labor that labor has some sort of like magical metaphysical power that doesn't just grant you something called capital, it literally grants you salvation uh, in in a kind of transcendental sense. And I feel like there there is something very interesting geopolitically going on. Now, what does that give me hope for China? No, 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 I say this because I'm an Americana person and i think that there has to be one thing that i do think it could potentially do is it could nullify the nation state you know because empires there could be this new sort of realignment of empires versus nations
0: but the
2: empires and, are better than nations because at least yeah of course
1: a- yeah, yeah yeah that's what but, i mean is it would be yeah, an improvement on what yeah. we have um but it's, ba- but it's based on who goes with who.
2: Yeah, but empires, they don't work very well within the logic of capital, you know? No. One of the, like, a good part of the history of capitalism is the dismantling of empires. Like, and I, I want to make a very sharp distinction.
4: Think of all the things that money can buy A ranch in the mountains and a pleasure for your eye Then maybe think of things that a dollar bill won't bring Like someone to hold you close and a song for you to sing And then think of all the years that it takes to be a fool. Like the lessons you learn in a lifetime, like your lifetime was a school. And then think of things that don't turn out what they seem, like the love you thought you owned and the man. sometimes a thinker, sometimes a schemer, sometimes a child, sometimes a wise man. A lonely soul, a great extremer, but nonetheless the American dreamer.